Hello and welcome to another episode of AdventuresIn.net. I'm Sean Clobo, your host, and with me today, we've got a full panel. We've got Christian Wenz. Hello. Hey, Christian. Adam Fermonic. Hey. Hey, everyone. And the person at the bottom there, that's Mark. <laughs> hey, guys. Hey, Mark. So, will nobody traveling for the, the holidays? We're recording this just before Christmas weekend. And we're all here. Uh, what are we? Are we not sociable people? I'm leaving yes. tomorrow morning. Same, same here, same here. And and mind that uh, at least uh, in my neck of the woods, uh, Christmas is celebrated on the twenty fourth. So the twenty fifth is for you know um, relaxing after the twenty fourth. The twenty fourth <laughs> is where it's all happening. Cool. I'm like, I was trying to schedule a meeting with one of my, uh, you know, devs on Monday. And he's like, that's kind of right in the middle of Christmas. And I'm like, what? And I checked the calendar. I'm <laughs> like, oh, fine. You can have that day off. But I'll be working. Off, but my family gets so mad at me. They like, you know, you're the worst dad ever. I get a lot of that. Yes, yeah, also for those who are, who are listening to that uh, later on Spotify or any of the other platforms, we, we're recording today on December the 22nd. And uh, if you only hear the audio, I'm wearing my ugly Christmas sweater uh, for, the, for the occasion. And the and others you're... are wearing their, their Christmas haircuts uh, for the occasion. So, um, yeah, if yeah. you're only yeah. listening to the audio, I have my best Christmas haircut ever on right now. <laughs> this so reminds me of this. Uh, of this scene from The Office when Dwight was recording a meeting. <laughs> That's exactly the same vibe. <laughs> All right. I think we, we have someone else in, in the room. Uh, before yeah, we but, but, oh, wait, so Mark. Since you just figured out Monday was Christmas, Mark, did you uh, now need to go out and do some buy some presents? I do not buy into the fiction of Christmas, John. You're not, not going to get me with your marketing messages or your, you know, get your ugly sweater on. I'm, I'm, I'm fighting everybody on this. Oh, Bahambug. That's right. <laughs> All right. Let's, let's bring on that other person Christian was talking about. Let's welcome our guest today. Hey, Brian. Brian Chavez. Hi. Uh, thank you for the invite. I'm Brian Chavez. <laughs> yeah. yeah. The author Brian. of Focus. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> Go ahead. Um, we, we like to start things off, you know, very uh, lightweight and, and okay. uh, give an introduction to yourself, kind of uh, how you got into development, how you got into .NET, things like that. So why don't you start us off there before we get into Bogus? Okay. Yeah. Uh, no problem. Um, so I'm a senior software developer at a company. I work full time. And um, I guess kind of how I got started was I knew pretty early back in high school what I wanted to do. I want to do to do something with computers. And I could always kind of teach myself a little bit of software. It kind of came natural. But uh, the hardware stuff was a lot more difficult. I couldn't, for the life of me, teach myself how voltage worked and things like that. So in college, I studied computer engineering and got a degree in computer uh, engineering, digital hardware. So it's like, uh, you know, designing PCBs and things like that. And, and then over that, I kind of really got a good, better understanding of how computers work that it kind of a electronic level. And then that kind of progressed into um, starting a small business right after college. And that's Bitarm Reincorporated. And, um, you know, I just built, you know, small 
small time business software and then um, eventually took a full time job. Um, and that's kind of during my my kind of like early startup days with my small business, I was really heavy into open source. And that's kind of where a lot of this stuff came from, uh, bogus and, and things like that. And so that's where I'm at now. <laughs> um, it's kind of in a nutshell how it went. And uh, what so how did you get into the, into the .NET oh, sorry, world? Sorry. Oh, in the .NET world. Yeah, so back in high school, I tried to create this uh, this uh, program called Direct Games because, um, you know, I really love this, this game called Warzone 2100. It's open source now. And um, there was back in the early days when it was released, um, it was owned by a company called Pumpkin Studios. And so they released this game called Warzone. It was kind of like... Um, kind of the early genres of Starcraft and things like that. <clears throat> and um, and it was a really cool game. I loved it, And but there was people cheating in it, and people would use these cheat engines that would basically hook a DLL in the program space, in the game space, and, you know, poke memory for, you know, your health values and things like that to reset the, the, the game value. And it wasn't, it was a peer-to-peer, so there was no kind of server, you know, overseeing the gameplay or anything like that. So there was a, a lot of cheating in there, and uh, I really wanted to try to see if I could solve this problem in high school. And so I kind of got hooked into kind of Visual Basic, <laughs> and so I built a small little server, game server, kind of anti-cheat server. It's basically like a like a lobby platform, and it would launch the game for you while in the background scanning, you know, your process list, making sure there wasn't you know cheat engines running to uh, you know cheat in the game. That worked well, but it didn't work well enough because the server crashed basically right out about 35 users. And at that point in time in high school, I really didn't understand like data structures or anything like that. So kind of, you know, I had to mature a little bit more in that respect. And through college, I learned Java, C and things like that through my through my coursework. And then kind of towards the tail end of college, I, you know, C-sharp 1.0 dropped and .NET and all this stuff. And I thought it was really cool. And I started looking more into the language, C-sharp, how it was pretty well designed, the APIs. And, you know, it was, you, I, I felt there was a lot of productivity I could get out of the language and the tool, developer tooling around it. And so that's kind of how I fell into .NET. And now I'm kind of stuck. I wouldn't say stuck, but I, I just love .NET now. My full-time job now uh, when I first got hired full time, it was doing .NET, um, but I recently transitioned to a security team uh, doing JavaScript work. So, but I'm still in .NET because of my open source work. So that's kind of how I fell into .NET. I love .NET and C Sharp, and always will. I think. Nice. That was that was one of the best answers to the "How'd you get here?" question oh. we've heard. I remember cheating in those games, and I was so sad when Windows 7 introduced a thing that was called ASLR, I think, that stopped all those magic trainer creators from working. Uh, some good old days. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Being able to, you know, crush your opponents with, you know, just a click. It was Those were the days. I was just playing single-player games back then, so I was just, yeah. you know, adding some gold and, and other resources to build more houses. But yeah, that, that was really cool. But also, it actually poked me in a similar direction. I wanted to understand why Magic Trainer Creator stopped working in Windows. So I started learning various internals of Windows. And yeah, then I understood that I was so sad. <laughs> yeah, 
Yeah. I've been known to write a few uh, mining bots, but I used Auto Hotkey. It was just a, an online based game and just would run some clients overnight to do some mining. So I get lots of money and things like that. So I'd wake up and I'd be rich. And <laughs> you guys are you guys are not going to trick me into revealing my crimes on this show. <laughs> nice try, both of you. Right, Christian? We're not going to tell them what we're doing on the side. Uh, but we, we better don't. We better don't. <laughs> we better don't, for sure. So our main topic today is, is your open source product uh, called Bogus. And so how did that get started? And what, well, first off, what does it do? And then how did you get started with that project? Yeah, so um, uh, Bogus is a fake data generator. Um, it basically helps you build uh, fake data. I think we maybe we've all been in that one, you know, sitting in our computer chairs and typing up on, you know, our apps. And then we get to the point where we hit F5 and we want to see it work a little bit. And then, you know, we'll put type in test user one, test user two, test user three. And then that kind of gets a little bit repetitive. And then, you know, we get some idea that it's working. But um, I kind of got kind of, this was kind of the state of development back then. And I think I was watching a, a Pluralsight video uh, back in 2015 uh, called Rethink DB Fundamentals by Rob Connery. I think yeah, it was a long time ago. Um, back in the back then, you know, MongoDB and these document databases were up and coming, and RethinkDB was an alternative to MongoDB at the time. And so I was learning uh, that course, and I think in one of the modules uh, he mentioned something about Faker.js and how he was able to populate a database with Faker.js, and I'm like, wow, this is really really good. We need something like this in .NET, and we also need you know, to connect to RethinkDB natively in .NET. So I built two open source projects. Uh, one is uh, Bogus, which is a port of Faker.js and um, and a RethinkDB database driver to connect to RethinkDB. And um, that, and, and kind of when I was sitting down, I, I just kind of had this one feeling that, you know, .NET needed this because I've been in that situation so many times writing test user one, test user two, it was it was crazy. So it's just like I just knew that you know we needed a good solid fake data generator in .NET because of the types of applications that we build, enterprise applications. We want to be able to test our our apps with what realistic but fake looking data. Um, and you can kind of get into it because, you, or it gets a little bit further when you build your applications because you know test user one, test user two. Let's say you're building a WinForms application. You know, maybe the margins are just perfect for test user one and test user two and test user three. But what happens when you throw in, you know, Richard, you know, you know, Chavez or Richard, you know, Blumenthal or something like that, where it goes just past the the margin and now your UWP or WinForms app is a little bit off. And now you got to try to tinker around with the scroll bars to make sure that the whole name you can you can see the whole name and things like that. So when you have, you know, synthetic data that looks realistic, it gives you a deeper intuition about how your app is functioning. And it's not just, you know, GUI apps, but, you know, server applications too. Let's say, you know, you're building some SaaS application and you, um, you have your database collation, you know, set on some kind of different uh, setting or you're using uh, Varchar instead of nVarchar. Bogus would generate, you know, um, characters with certain dialectics, I believe they're called. And 
you know, so it'll throw that data at your database. And then when you read it back, you know, those, those fancy, those fancy uh, characters with like accent or groove or something like this, it would come back different because of the encoding uh, might be different or just even saving a file, you know, maybe the default is ASCII and when it should be UTF-8 kind of thing. And so you get a lot of those types of um, uh, feedback when using synthetic data because it's more, it's a little bit more realistic. So that's kind of how it kind of fell together. And there were a lot of fake data generators out there before Bogus. And, um, you know, they, they were good, um, but there was, for me, um, you know, I'm a, bit, I'm a really big fan of Microsoft's API design. There's actually a book um, that I have. It's called uh, Framework Design Guidelines, Conventions, Idiom, Idioms, uh, and Patterns for Reusable .NET Libraries. This book right here is, I think, one of the best books in .NET software development because it taught me a lot about how to build reusable libraries. And so I lifted a, a lot of the semantic notions, the, the API design kind of culture in Microsoft's .NET BCL and kind of brought that forward into Bogus. And so that's where a lot of the other libraries maybe didn't match up. So that was one aspect. Another aspect was, um, you know, deterministic, uh, repeatable uh, sequences. That was something critically, I think, important because let's say you did want to populate a database with 1 million rows, 10 million rows, 50 million rows to test your system. You want repeatability. You want determinism in built into the framework that you're using. And a lot of the other fake data generators at the time uh, didn't have that. And that's something I wanted to bring forward into this library called Bogus. And back in 2015, I guess, you know, I was just sitting around and wanted to port it over and I needed to think of a name. And so I was in the NuGet package manager console trying to think of a name and something funny popped up, Bogus, and I installed dash package Bogus. I'm like, okay, you're installing Bogus stuff into your application. There you go. So that's kind of how it fell together. <laughs> so this is quite a lot, I must say. And I, I never used Bogus, but I was using AutoFixture. Uh, and it was very similar in, in, like, at least how I can imagine. If you were to, like, compare those two libraries, what would you say? Is there any, like, advantage in using one of the other? Uh, I would say, you know, use both. Um, I'm not, I'm not one in particular, you know, use the best tool for the, for the, for the job. I think, um, I think auto fixture, I, I haven't used it too much, but, um, you know, I do know that it generates, like, if you ask it for a string, it would give you like a, just a regular random string. And it, I think it's like sometimes even a good as a string. And so, that's okay. I think you know, it's perfectly has its uses in in um, in unit testing. Uh, you know where you really don't care about the value; you just want to make sure a string is a string. You you write it or serialize it, and you get it back, type of thing. Whereas with Bogus, um, if you want, you can use Bogus for uh, unit tests, but you can also use it to. I think probably the best case is like populating databases or uh, generating. Uh, kind of more realistic data, like a person's name would come out, Brian Chavez or um, Matthew uh, McDonald. You know, it would actually generate realistic looking names instead of a GUID for a first name or a last name. If it spits out my name, I would, would be very surprised. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, no. Uh, yeah, so the way that kind of works is there's the dictionary underneath the hood um, because um, 
it, you know, kind of going back to the design and the build of Bogus, um, I wanted to leverage FakerJS's community and I wanted a lot leverage .NET's community as well. So part of the design and build of Bogus is to not just, you know, port over the eight, some of the APIs, which can be one to, almost one-to-one matched. Um, there's a little bit sp- uh, of a sprinkle of .NET APIs design standards on top of that. So you, it might not match parameter for parameter, but they're pretty close. So it's easy to transition between both uh, Bogus and FakerJS. Um, but one of the big design goals I had was to make sure that I could pull down their locale data. So with FakerJS, you could uh, have the English language. You could also have the Arabic language. You could also have the uh, Australian uh, locale. You can have, there's like, I think over 50 locales that you can pick from to generate uh, fake data. So if you were to pick, for example, the Swedish locale, it would generate Swedish type of names instead of, you know, Brian Chavez or something very uh, like English. Um, So in that, how FakerJS stores that information is basically a JSON object or a JSON object in FakerJS. And so porting that locale data into Bogus is something I wanted to uh, keep as part of the design so that when Faker, when contributions are made to FakerJS, I want to be able to fast forward those con- contributions also in Bogus so that uh, both com- so that the Bogus community could also benefit from the FakerJS contributions as well. Yeah. So how do you keep them in sync? Do you keep them in sync? Do you do it manually or like, what do you do? Yeah. So it's, it's a tough process. Um, I would say like back in the earlier days, like I would, you know, pick a weekend or something like that. And then I would just basically go through the commits up to whatever their release version was and then pull down uh, the data. Now, that was a tedious process, and that was about where Faker.js was about ver- version 5. And um, there was a bit of a, a little riff in the community. Uh, we could talk more about that. But Faker.js, there was a kind of like a community takeover uh, to this now kind of newer version of Faker.js. Uh, and uh, they were able to carry it from uh, version 5 to version 6, version 7, and I think they're getting close to or at version eight. And so uh, during those uh, major version updates in Faker.js, it also, um, they changed the data format. So it's written in TypeScript now instead of pure JavaScript. So I've had to do quite a bit of kind of automation around that to basically pull out the schema. And basically I have a test that I just wrote just a couple of days ago um, that will scan through that JSON schema and then if there's any changes, I use Verify, uh, Simon Krupp's uh, Verify library to check that JSON schema. If, so if, there, if the geometry of that data changes, I'll be able to know, okay, I can go back and update bogus.net code to handle that geometry change in the, in the JSON. That's pretty neat, I must say. Uh, my first guess was now with uh, LLMs and all the machine learning stuff, like some companies, I think uh, one of the uh, popular video streaming service was banned from using uh, ChatGPT because they were using it to generate training data for their own LLM. So I imagine you could just take Faker.js and ask it, hey, generate a million of strings for me and then, you know, do these things on those and capture data. 
Yeah, definitely. I've I've heard use cases like that where people would um, you know create you know using synthetic data train uh, AI models with with you know a fake data set and get close close to pretty good results. I would say probably. Did you did you ever get any any complaints that one of the fake names generated was I don't know offensive or weird? I mean, I mean, I, I'm just thinking about the in 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 the Simpsons that that the, the Bart uh, phone call pranks. Like I think uh, what is what is one I could mention here in this in this in this show? Maybe for for Oliver Klotzoff, um, that's that's a common name that shows up, and I mispronounced this intentionally. Uh, so anything like that happened, or is this just uh, occasionally? Yeah, no, I see what you're saying. Yeah, occasionally it doesn't happen very often. Um, but you know, and you know, for for when it does happen, I just say you know, tell the upstream maintainers Baker.js to make any changes because eventually I'll pull pull them down. Um, and Bogus does have a an extend, basically a data extension. So part of that initial design of being able to copy Faker.js's locale data into Bogus and get it updated is the ability to also merge our custom data if we want to mutate that data as it comes in. There's a process of merging their JSON with our custom JSON. So sometimes there'll be locales or people in the Bogus community in .NET that would want to update um, you know, their own locale with maybe VIN numbers or something like that. And potentially, you know, it's only useful in maybe Great Britain or something like that. So we have an extension ability to basically patch the JSON that's coming in downstream from Faker.js. And then basically you have a kind of almost like a superset of, of, of synthetic data uh, with Faker.js and Bogus's and .NET's uh, data. So th there is a process for, you know, fixing things like that if, if we need to. So how much time do you spend on like maintaining your library, keeping it up to date, updating dependencies? How much time a month does it take you? Um, when I got my full-time job, uh, <laughs> that changed quite a bit. Um, back when I was uh, working on my small business, I was, it was, it was, um, you know, it wasn't too bad. Uh, I got to this point where, um, there were very little bugs at the, known at the time. And when that bug did come in, I would fix it and tag the repo and that was it, you know? And so I had a very fast release cadence. And I think in some ways that also helped with the community because they were able to gain a little bit of trust, you know, like, oh, this maintainer, he's, he's, he's got it down to where, you know, if a bug comes in, he fixes it, tags the repo and a release is out the door. Um, within 24 hours kind of thing. And then when I took a full-time job, I had, I did have to st step away from my open source work, uh, but I still work on it as much as I can and without burning out, you know, um, uh, after work and on weekends. And I would say, you know, I've pulled back quite a bit, but I still keep it up. Like right now I've, I've been on PTO since um, uh, the seventh of this month. And so I've been you know casually working on it. And so that's what I try to do is, you know, I try to keep it fun for me. And, you know, I try not to burn out. If I ever get into that kind of state, I'll, I'll pull back and, you know, come back later on it. You mentioned because I'm I'm curious now. You you mentioned uh, some 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 issues or discussions within the Faker JS project. Uh, so I, I just checked. So that that version eight you mentioned that, that came out in May 2023, but they're now at eight or three dot something. So they're still some some progress being made so 
So what went on there and, and how did it affect your project? Apart from the changed schema, of course, which is weird uh, that, you know, that this happens. Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. Um, yeah, so, yeah, no, it's, it's an excellent question. Um, so originally, I think one of the, the original creators of Faker.js, I think his name was uh, Marak, uh, Marak. I'm not sure how to pronounce his name, but there's there's a statement on faker.dev or fakerjs.dev where they kind of go into more detail about this. But basically, um, something happened, I think, with uh, Marak's repo- repository where he intentionally, I think he was the author and maintainer of Colors.js and Faker.js, and he intentionally uh, sabotaged his, rep- his repository with, he, basically, he deleted his code and um, put in like, you know, a message in the output console. And um, so it was kind of like an, I don't know, an upstream supply chain attack type of thing where he kind of intentionally destroyed his repository. And so, you know, bogus users, obviously I have to manually update that. And so when I saw that, I'm like, you know, something's going on over there. So I'm going to stay out of it. Uh, But uh, the community basically got together and was able to fork his repository before he kind of sabotaged it and basically came up with the current uh, pointer that we point to now upstream, which is the Faker.js community's version instead of Marak's uh, version. So that's basically what happened. Um, yeah, he just, I guess he he wasn't getting paid, I think, uh, for his open source work. Or he got upset about it and uh, he quit, basically, I think. Um, I think he put it in an infinite loop, right? Um, Yeah. um, I mean, but what was I still remember that the the, I think the combined number of weekly downloads of of ColorJS and FakerJS was I think thirty million. Yeah. And I mean, I I, I do a lot of uh, web security, right? So I always tell people, yeah, I mean, you have to stay up to date, stay up to date. But of course, everyone who doesn't look at things and doesn't have automated testing in place, they just run an an, uh, NPM upgrade, whatever, uh, (laughs) early Monday morning, and then uh, out of a sudden, the the application sees working, right? So that's... Yeah, exactly. And even... Yeah, and even you know, in the .NET space, we don't run JavaScript in Bogus, so <laughs> so if we just copy the JSON locale data, which is you know, uh, you know, that's that's the only thing we care about. But when I did see that, I'm like, something's going on. Um, and but I'm glad that the community uh, got together and was um, able to you know revive the repository and was able to carry it forward from version five to now version version eight. And so now I've been kind of catching up on my PTO to try to catch up to their current version. <laughs> Brian, I've got a question about um, about your favorite aspect of the, the API or the architecture that gives you the most power and the most easy-to-read statement and the, the least amount of effort. What are you most excited about for you in the, uh, with this? Yeah. Um, so in in the uh, bogus readme, I kind of give like three uh, three ways, three flavors you could use bogus. Um, the first one is to use kind of like a fluent syntax, and I kind of borrowed that from fluent validation. You know, where we kind of build validation rules for validating our DTOs as they come in and process them. Um, 
so there's a very similar feel to, uh, you know, you have some kind of domain models, you have some kind of C-sharp object, and you can build rules from those properties. Just like if you were building, you know, validation rules uh, for your domain object, you'd build data population rules for your, your object uh, for, you know, later persistence in a, in a database. So there's that top level uh, faker fluent uh uh, I call it faker T, which is, you know, the angle brackets T for the generic object. So there's that faker T uh, level. Then there's kind of the faker facade level where you just say new faker and you store that in a variable and you have basically access to all the data sets that are available. And that's kind of like very similar, um, very similar uh, usage and pattern to faker JS because that's what you do in faker JS as well is you just call them you know, the main faker function and you basically get this thing with a whole bunch of properties on it that are the data sets. And it's the same exact thing in Bogus where you say new faker without, you know, the T generic and that'll give you access to all the methods that you can call to generate fake data. You can generate, um, you know, uh, pictures, avatars, uh, links to, you know, people's avatars. So instead of having like a silhouette picture in your UI app, you could actually generate you know, a, 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 a UI face for that for that uh, person. And then kind of like the lowest level that you can get into with Bogus is using a data set directly. And I would say to answer your question, kind of the most comfortable way is use all of them. Um, the high level goal is to not get your data generation code mangled and sometimes faker T because you could really push it to where, you, let's say you have, one object and then another nested object that it references and then another nested object that it references and faker T rules and fluent syntax doesn't really kind of fit in that puzzle. And, and people have seen people create some pretty crazy, you know, uh, faker T objects where they've got fluent uh, rules that are nested, that go into another nest, that go into another nest. And it, and it, and it's a very, it's, it could be really hard to debug. And so, I guess the point is, is, is the faker, the regular faker, the new faker object, that level, that mid-level tier, I would say uh, when you just say new faker object without the T and there's no fluent syntax and you just have a factory function and you just use that uh, faker object, I think is usually uh, uh, scales pretty well to very large complex graphs. Um, and so I just use the faker T sparingly. I mean, it's there. Um, but I think, you know, we all have this kind of natural, uh, natural uh, uh, sense of when things get complicated. And that's when you can switch gears from faker T to just using just the regular faker object. Um, so that's kind of how I think about it. So is there a way to create or not create, but uh, to have it a guard for creating real data? I could, I could see like you don't want it to create a real email address. So you did, your system doesn't accidentally send out an email to somebody that's not expecting it or maybe phone <laughs> numbers or addresses or things like that. So is there a way to put some sort of guard in there for that? Yeah, so I, it's basically up to the developer. I'm waiting for the case or the GitHub issue that comes in that says that I received a whole bunch of, you know, UPS packages at my doorstep because, you know, the test data was used in production or something like this. I'm waiting for that GitHub issue to appear, but it hasn't yet so far, but it's possible that, you know, Bogus could generate uh, a real name. Um, it could generate a real 
address. It could generate a real, you know, Android user ID. It could generate a real Bitcoin address. It could. I mean, there. I mean, I think zooming out, you, it would be limited to basically the random seed space. Basically, I think at some point, and whatever data sets that we pull in from FakerJS. So it's possible that it could generate something, but I haven't heard a report of it yet. <laughs> and there's oh, nothing oh, to protect oh, it. Yeah, sorry, sorry. Oh, yeah, yeah. There's there's nothing to protect you from using the synthetic data in production. And if you, you do use it in production, I mean, <laughs> be careful, <laughs> you know, because it is potentially could be real. I could see some like configuration that says, please do not use any your existent domains, you know, only use something that doesn't exist or something like that. That's that's what I was thinking. I, I was I was kind of uh, uh, peeking in that direction as well. So how you do a random email address? Are they all at example.com or how do you do uh, phone numbers? Yeah, so um, so I think in our in our data set and the the EN locale from FakerJS as well, uh, they do have Gmail addresses. They do have the domain. Gmail. They also have the Yahoo uh, domain okay. and other various ones. Um, but you can, as part of uh, Bogus's API, specify a domain if you wanted to. So if you have a test domain or you just want to make something that is black holed, you're certainly welcome to do that in, in Bogus. And I give you the APIs to do it. So it's not just you're just using Fader.js, but like I, like I mentioned before, there's a little bit of sprinkling of .NET on top of those APIs so that you can kind of mutate the data a little bit more uh, to your to your uh, needs. Yeah, that, that absolutely makes sense. And I mean, with, with email addresses, I mean, with, with example.com and example.org, et cetera, I mean, we, we do have, you know, a, a dedicated test, test bed, basically. But yeah, it absolutely makes sense to kind of replace it, for instance, with the the, the, the customer's uh, domain or something or the domain of the company that does the web application. And I'm, I think phone numbers are harder. I mean, the US has the 555 uh, uh, city code. Is it a city code? I don't even know, but yeah, 555. But not, most, most countries just don't have that, you know, designated, made, made for Hollywood uh, <laughs> phone, fake phone number uh, scheme. So uh, it would be, would be hard to pull off, right? Unless... No, yeah. I mean, even if the phone number is too long, I mean, still it could could be valid, and the the, the remaining uh, digits would be ignored. And so, yeah, yeah, and and like I said, even with phone numbers, you you do have the ability to specify a format. So if you yeah, wanted yeah. to prefix it with five five five, you're you're certainly uh, welcome to do that. But by default, Bogus will try to get the most realistic kind of looking telephone address as possible yeah. for its for its users. So you also have a, a commercial offering uh, for for Bogus. Uh, tell us what's uh, what what are we getting? Oh yeah, yeah. So um, oh yeah. So I do make money uh, from my open source, and part of it was I was kind of trying to think back in the early days, maybe if I could get support from the community, and um, I decided to create data extensions that go that augment the current Faker.js data set. So you could potentially have, let's say, um, Hollywood, let's say you're building a, uh, a, a, you know, a movie app or something like that, and you wanted a list of all the movies, um, there would be a paid extension that would plug into Bogus to augment the, the data set with movies, um, actors and things like that. Or let's say you're building a healthcare application and 
in these types of industries, it's very heavily regulated here with patient data in the United States. So um, there's uh, an extension called Bogus uh, uh, Healthcare that will extend and augment data to generate ICD-9 diagnostic codes. It'll generate, um, you know, uh, different types of vitamins, blood types, uh, diseases and things like that. So you could potentially use bogus to generate patient data for healthcare applications instead of using, you know, heavily regulated data as test data or something like this. Cause you know, we all know that something happens somewhere where, you know, you you're able to get data just to test your app or debug something. Well, you could potentially use bogus to kind of fill that gap instead of having putting, you know, patient data or, um, you know, healthcare data at, at risk, you could use bogus to kind of, uh, deal with that. And so there are paid extensions and I've sold licenses to small developers all the way up to governments. Uh, so, uh, it is a, it's, it's pretty well, uh, used and, um, and, and so that's one aspect is the paid extensions. Uh, the other aspect, excuse me, the, the, uh, the data extensions, there's another, uh, extension that I built that's also paid, which is the, uh, analyzer. Um, and so basically what it does is when you're using the faker T um, object and you're using that fluent send text for building like a rule for your property and then what to generate, maybe the first name and then a rule for the last name property and then how to generate that. Well, what happens if you add a middle name to your object model? Well, now your, your middle name doesn't have a rule defined for that uh for that middleware property string in your, in your domain class. And so what this tool, what this analyzer does is it'll go and read all your faker T objects and examine if there are any rules that are potentially missing from your domain op- domain object and potentially cause a compiler error and say, Hey, you forgot to add a rule for, for example, the middle name that you just added, you should probably, you know, fill that in with some fake data as well. So, yeah. So is this then an analyzer that, that works in, in Visual Studio or also in Visual Studio Code or Rider? Um, how, how is that? Implemented? Yeah, in, yeah in, 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 the, um, in the link to, I think I have a link to a, a wiki, I think, on my GitHub repo. And I, I list out all the IDEs that it works in. And it's a regular C-sharp analyzer, just like all the other analyzers in .NET. There's nothing too special about it, although you do need a license. And my paid extensions are closed source. Um, so uh, you do need a license to use it, um, but it does, as far as I know, work on all the IDEs of Visual Studio, Visual Studio Code, and um, JetBrains uh, Writer, yeah, all the major ones, I think. And how much are we talking for this extensions? Yeah, it's uh, right now it's uh, $10 for one year, so it's renewable, and yeah. if you don't like it, if you stop using it, send me an email, I'll cancel it. <laughs> That's it. Very affordable, very affordable, yeah. So I think one thing that really impresses me is all the different categories of data that it can generate. You know, we're talking about strings and addresses and phones like that, but it's there's so many different things that you can tell it to do, you know, business type stuff, finance type stuff, internet stuff, image, whatever. So there's, there's just a youngest list of this stuff. That's That's great. So how, if, if you can answer that, because I know it's a for-pay extension, but how do you source the, the the fake data or the basis for the fake data for, for those extensions? So is it a mix of 
public data or data you assemble together? Did you do you watch uh, all seasons of House MD to get a list <laughs> of? Well, there's only Lupin yeah. actually, um, but uh, yeah, a list of all the diseases. Uh, can you? Yeah. Can you <laughs> yeah. No. I. Yeah. yeah. I've had to ask for permission uh, and for various sources. Uh, some things you have to ask for, and then some things that are public open open data. The federal government has quite a few data sets available for things. They have orange books, blue books, brown books, and things like that. And so, you know, there's, that's where I would uh, look forward to see, you know, if I was building an app in an industry, what kind of data would I, would I uh, try to need? And so I would go and look at these uh, open data sets and see if there's anything I could extract from them um, that I could repackage that's usable. And so, so the locale for those extensions is is uh, ENUS essentially, right? Because yeah. I mean, it's it's probably a, a question of the size of the market, always, right? Yeah, yeah. Also, too, you know, I, I only you know understand English, so it's hard to hard to create data for other locales yeah. that I I'm not native in. So, yeah. you know, um, one of the problems that we had when we were working on Code Rush a few years ago is we would have customers who would report an issue that we couldn't reproduce. And we couldn't get their source code for a lot of reasons, because CodeRush works on other people's source code. And one of the ideas I had was, well, we could get a description of their source code. In other words, how many classes, how big the files were, how many methods, right? In other words, get data of, of what... Get a, get a rough picture of what the data looks like, then basically create fake data on our side to fill the whole thing in in an effort to try to reproduce. And when I think about that and I think about Bogus, I'm, I think I imagine that, oh, it might be useful in some scenarios maybe, right, where a customer has, is, has got a particular hard-to-reproduce problem, like, for example, maybe performance issues, something like that, to be able to build into the 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 app uh, an ability to describe the data, send it back, right? A small description of it, and then you feed that into uh, you've got a utility on your on the other side that feeds it into Bogus and creates something that looks just like what the customer had or something close to it. I don't know. It's it's I'm not sure if that's useful or not. I'm not a database developer at all. But it's something that's kind of interesting when I think about this this kind of hard to reproduce problem that's out there. Uh, yeah, I think you know you actually hit on a really good point because I've seen uh, some activity out there because uh, you know I do keep an eye on how bogus is used and things like that, and I have seen some tools that where they would layer it an on anonymizer on top of you know the data that they process or take out from a secure environment like production, they would layer in some type of an anonymizer process and bogus is kind of, you know, bolted onto that to kind of anonymize, uh, you know, potentially, you know, um, you know, social security numbers, email addresses and things like that, where you're using the fake synthetic data generator and repopulating that data when you're exporting it out uh, for potential PII information or something like that. Um, it's, yeah, I've seen some tools start to go in that direction. It's interesting take. It's cool. I like it. Yeah. Is Bogus uh, compatible with all versions of .NET? Yeah, so we go back. I think the lowest TFM that we support is .NET 
uh, full framework 4.0, I believe. Uh, that's what we, I still compile down to, all the way up to .NET 8, I believe. Uh, we, we ship with the .NET 6.0 uh, TFM, but when you load it into a project, uh, it uses the .NET 6 build, I believe, in your .NET 8 project. And uh, the reason we do that is because we also want to support time only and date only. So there's some new data types that we're, we want to generate. Right, right. So if the .NET version is supported, you support it. Yeah, pretty much. So, so, so once, uh, what's 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 next? So when .NET seven goes out of support in May, then you'll stop looking at .NET seven, more or less, right? Potentially, so you're not making it, you know, uh, uh, incompatible. Uh, but no. uh, yeah, it's yeah, it's, it's going outside out of the test test bench. Yeah, I I think at least for me, I think. Part of why Bogus is successful is because of the broad support. Even .NET 4.0 projects can use it. I mean, you're not going to get the latest and greatest you know, .NET types like DateTime only, but you could still use it in very legacy applications and projects. And I, I think it's just me and my personal feeling that it is important to support those types of legacy because it's not too much work on my side to make sure that it compiles or builds. Um, it's just an if-def statement somewhere. And I don't, I'm not too crazy into bolting down into some API that's not super compatible. Um, there's no crazy dependencies that Bogus has uh, other than you know, the .NET runtime. Um, so there's not too much that we kind of, in terms of API surface that we touch that would be really hard to maintain. Um, but yeah, it's, .NET 4 is is the lowest, and you should be able to use it. It's .NET standard compatible too. So, so your latest release is only a, a couple of weeks ago. You're version 35 now. What kind of things are you working on for for version 36 and beyond? Yeah, so uh, lots of stuff. You know, um, there's probably m one of the most requested features is getting getting resynced up to uh, Faker JS's data locales. Um, I've had quite a few requests for like the uh, Swedish locale to get updated. Uh, I think there's another, there's a couple more in there. So I have a whole kind of handful of tickets that I need to resolve by getting that pushed forward. And so right now it's, you know, I'm doing some small changes because I'm trying to, you know, I'm on PTO now. I'm getting back into the swing of things. It's been a while. Uh, so slowly getting that uh, merged in. Another one is uh, date time transition, DST transitions, <laughs> you can potentially generate, there's one bug currently that would allow you to generate a date and a time that technically isn't valid for your time zone because, um, because of the algorithm that we're using. And one potential fix, we have a, a PR in the wings that will potentially get merged in uh, that will uh, hopefully solve that problem. And also another important one is Right now, when you think about deterministic data and using bogus, uh, you basically have a seed. But what about time? Uh, time when generating dates in the past uh, based on a seed is also, uh, you have to have an anchor in time to start your seed from. You can't just kind of anchor it to now because if you now is always changing. So you have to pick an anchor point in some time in the past and then do your calculations based on that seed you know, either forward or backward. So you have to have some type of time anchor. And right now the API design is a static one. So if you, you would anchor your time statically with a static field and property, and we all know that that's kind of a bad pattern because it would be better if you could set that time anchor 
instance on the faker object itself instead of a statically one because you might be your code base might be you know pretty large and you might need static and you might not need static in a different part of your code and that kind of messes things up in your unit tests so um, trying to pull that code refactor that code out so that it works time anchors only happen within the faker within the context of a faker object is basically uh, what we're going to be working on pretty soon too and that kind of leads to even a a bigger issue is is how do you keep deterministic data deterministic in the face of updating locales and uh, that's that's a whole other issue but yeah we can get into that if you want wow that is an issue yeah yeah um uh, yeah, it's it's so the versioning. That's why it's at version thirty five. Is because uh, it, it kind of does and kind of doesn't follow semantic versioning. Uh, the biggest thing for me is that if there is any of my tests that break, and they were deterministic unit tests, if they break, then I'm probably breaking someone else. So that's a signal for me to increment the version, the major version number. Say, hey, I'm letting the community know that potentially. Um, either I updated a locale and they changed the arrays values or the order of those array values, then potentially, um, you know, I have to do a major increment because I consider breaking determinism as a breaking change. So that's why it's at version 35 right now is because, you know, we've had quite a few deterministic changes break things. Um, so... So is there anything we haven't covered about Bogus that our listeners should know about? Um, no, it's a cool project. Um, it sounds cool. <laughs> it's yeah. A, yeah, it's a cool project. Um, you know, there's not too much more than, than that. There's a lot of YouTube videos out there that people uh, can create, um, uh, you know, or that people have created. And um, I think Nick, Nick, Nick Chapsis, I think, uh, you know, a YouTuber out there, he made a video on Bogus. So there's a lot of learning material out there. Um, also, I might be doing another podcast in April, but we'll see. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, yeah, just lots, lots of things to learn about it. And if you have trouble, you know, you can always, you know, create a GitHub issue or the discussions tab is also open. And I try to get to them when I can. Um, but, you know, I do have a full time job, so it, it, it's hard sometimes. But, yeah. I do try to. We have to get more premium subscriptions so you don't have to have that (laughs) full time job. There you go. There you go. That's one way to do it. Yeah. You know, for the number of downloads you had for that, if you just have, you know, a premium subscription for just 10% of those, you'd be pretty good. (laughs) I think so. (laughs) Yeah. I think what's what's the download number? That's 61 or 62 million downloads. 62 million. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, With that said, I think uh, we'll move on to picks. Uh, let's go. Christian, why don't you start us off with picks? Uh, I will. Uh, so as we're recording this a uh, few days uh, before Christmas, uh, I thought about uh, Christmas theme picks. Um, so for those who are listening into this podcast uh, briefly after recording or are joining us live on LinkedIn or YouTube, um, there are many, many Santa trackers, right? So you see where Santa is and you can report sightings and stuff. And, uh, it's it's always uh, it, it always takes me some time to get into you know uh, solstice mu- mood, but this this helps me. And of all of the Santa trackers, um, 
I prefer the one Google is doing because they use a lot of gamification and that's also quite quite nice fun. Um, and if uh, you're listening to this uh, after the, the holidays, uh, then I just recommend uh, you watch uh, probably the the most traditional Christmas movie there is, and that's Die Hard 1, because Die Hard, I think it came out in summer, but it takes place on Christmas. So there's yeah. no better way than celebrate, uh, celebrate Christmas if you celebrate Christmas uh, with uh, Die Hard, and if you don't celebrate Christmas, watch Die Hard. I, I think it's a movie that, uh, that aged uh, quite uh, gracefully. Yeah, I just watched it. So to me, it's a Christmas mu- movie. Yep. Christmas music, Christmas setting, all that kind of stuff. Can you can't you can't can't orbit that one. <laughs> All right. So Adam, what's your pick? So my pick for this week is continuing virtualization in Android. And recently Google announced uh, that Android virtualization framework is gonna be a part of Android 14 and onwards. Meaning that virtualization is going more and more into mobile devices, so probably we'll have some brand new areas where we can actually hack things and uh, deal with security, that's for Christian, and obviously do some fancy stuff like running Windows on Android or, or Mac OS on Android, because why not? Uh, so I uh, I highly encourage you to take a look at that, the design and what's going to change in Android. And just looking forward to, to what the future is going to bring uh, in terms of uh, what I'll be able to run on my mobile phone. Okay. Mark, you're next. Um, well, I tried watching Rebel Moon and the first 30, 40 minute of it, minutes of it are not great. Uh, it starts to pick up. I realize I have the most empathy for the character. The character I have the most empathy for is the robot. And <laughs> the robot is emoting better than a lot of the other actors around. It, it, I wa- it's the best actor in, in, uh, in the show, right? So. I wanted it to be great, and so far not. It's picking up a little. There's some interesting things, but I was hoping I was going to be able to bring that. I'm not. All I got for you kids is GPT-4-1106 Preview. I uh, asked it a math question the other day because I'm like always curious to see, you know, how how they're doing over there. And it stunned me with the answer. I I basically said, look, I've got four numbers in this pattern. Uh, They're like uh, four, 11, right? Four, 11. No, sorry. Three, 10, 21 and 40 are the are the sequence. What's. What's going on? How do I predict it? It was essentially the question. And it comes back saying, hey, you know what? You've got some uh, polynomial uh, options to pursue this. Uh, if you look at uh, a polynomial of order three, uh, because you've got four items in here, you can solve it. And basically comes back with a solution that's impressive. Now, where did I get these four numbers from? The four numbers come from a test that my son is doing in math. And he's like, I think this fourth number is wrong. In the pattern, I can't get it to fit, and uh, and and he presents that to me. I run it through. I I say, look at this. Take this whole look at the answer. We've got the polynomial coefficients all over here, and it works. They're weird coefficients. One of them is twenty five over three, for example. However, we switch it to the number he suggested, and the whole thing just collapses and simplifies into uh, something like two n squared plus two, or something like that. 
And uh, the overall the experience with it, uh, I was very impressed. I keep hearing people say there's no reasoning power inside of here. There's no ability to do math yet. Uh, and yet I'm seeing evidence that uh, the math is, is strong. And I think it's going to get significantly stronger as we move forward. Anyway, that's it. But you can now do images and things like that, all sorts of things in, in ChatGPT. Yeah, I th- one of the, uh, the also interesting options here is they've got support for code interpreter as well. You can just turn that on or off. So it's, uh, 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 from my perspective, I, I deeply appreciate this option. So yeah, there's definitely, we're definitely going in kind of a cool direction. Um, related to all of this, um, the uh, ousting for a moment for, of Sam Altman. Did you guys hear about this? I probably don't have time to talk about this at all, but it was uh, reportedly because of some top secret stuff inside that people thought was going to take over the world. I saw it, but I didn't dig into it that much. Don't dig into it, kids. It's going to be <laughs> scary. Yeah. One thing I saw that was really cool that Microsoft is doing is that it'll actually generate your, your Git check-in comments now for you. So. Yeah, we're actually we actually doing this in Code Rush. I think I told you about this. We've actually got XML comment generation using uh, ChatGPT, basically the OpenAI engine, and we are modifying. I say we've got that. We're not shipping that yet. I'm the only person who's using that feature right now, but it's pretty good. It's pretty good. The biggest problem we have with it is it's got phantom exceptions that it talks about. It says it raises this exception. And I'm like, no, it doesn't like that. And so I got to go after that. But other than that, um, I, I used it just today and I was really impressed with how fast it generated a reasonable comment about what the code did. Oh, so that's XML comments. You always talk about your Git, you know, when you check in your code. Right. Instead of just saying, I check, you know, blah, 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 whatever, you know. Right, but I guess I guess what I'm saying is describe what changes that you did now. Yeah, that's what I'm talking about. Is I'm talking about basically the same thing, even though one's right. bigger. They're essentially analyzing the code and describing what's happened, analyzing the changes, describing what's yeah. happened. Yeah, I think we're we're looking we're, we're moving towards a space where the tooling I think is going to get really really good. I mean, I'm using in practice every day. I'm using OpenAI cognitive services to write code. And the results are getting better and better. So, cool. so I'm really liking it. All right. So my pick this week is Reacher season two on Amazon TV. So I really loved, you know, I he's just such a badass, Sean, but he's a good guy. Sean, and trying to help Sean, people out. Sean, I can't watch shows with people have big muscles. My <laughs> wife looks at me and like, what is that? And I like, I don't know. It's a muscle suit. Don't don't look at me like no, I'm camera like, angles. It, it yes. looks unnatural. I think there is some some CGI taking. No, we do. I just really... read an article. They're doing that. They're purposely putting camera angles and other people that are next to him in positions that make them seem small compared to him. And yeah, so, probably and with a wide angle lens too, right? And they get really close to him. Right, yeah. everybody else looks tiny. Yeah, yeah. I'll make. I keep trying to explain it to my wife, but boy, you're making it hard and hard with these, these picks, John. Can we get like, can we get like a young Sheldon or something from you? All right, I'll try to come up with something next week. All right, Brian, do you have a pick for our audience? Um, I probably uh, maybe mention a, another open source project called Simple Injector. 
I think uh, that open source project, it's basically a, a DI container. Um, I really love that simple injector DI container. I know Microsoft has a DI container now, but before Microsoft, um, I, I was a big fan of simple injector. And, you know, if you're building a small app or console application or command line application, you need a basic DI container. I think simple injector is a really good choice. And that's it. Okay. Excellent. Great. Thank you very much for coming, Brian. Yeah, yeah. thanks so much for having me. show, fantastic show. Thank you. Thanks, Brian. And uh, our listeners have comments with feedback for the show. They love to hear from me. They can get me on all the platforms, even uh, Blue Sky. Now I got finally got invited into Blue Sky. So you could have asked me. You could have asked <laughs> me, and I would have more than one friend. Really. <laughs> all right. Yep. So at dot net superhero, catch me on wherever you want. Thanks, everybody, and we'll catch our listeners on the next episode of Adventures in dot net. <laughs>